0: Welcome to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now, here's a message from Pastor Dan Roth. I was looking over at the past messages, what Pastor Jessica just recently preached, and what Pastor Joseph just recently preached, and even I was looking forward to Pastor Paul's notes that he sent across for the Sunday night message that's coming up. And all of these messages are dovetailing together. All of them are a constant, consistent flow of what the Holy Spirit has been speaking. Last week we were in a subject called "Fighting from the Foxhole," and I almost thought about doing a part two, but this message really stands on its own, and really it has something to say to all of us. And there's going to be parts of this message that if you uh, have something resonate on the inside of you when you're listening to this word, I want you to go onto the message archive and I want you to find the other messages about faith and about the the church that's going to be standing, that's outstanding before God, and, and just find those other messages that will dovetail with and build faith for these areas that this message is going to be bringing up for all of us today. The title of today's message is No Shame. Everybody at home, I want you guys to say, No shame. Say it again, say, No shame. Now, sometimes we hear a message title like that, and we automatically go to some of the messages that we've heard, and I'm not going to put down these messages. I think they're great messages. They're absolutely wonderful, they're absolutely biblical. Uh, But these messages, oftentimes when we hear no shame, we think about the fact that there's now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Great message, accurate message, wonderful message, but this is not that message. This message is a bit different. In fact, this message might disturb you a little bit. This message might cause you to to get outside of your comfort zone a bit because God wants us to live a life of no shame. And in order for that to happen, there's going to be a battle that takes place and something that's required of us in order to live that life of no shame. Say it again. Say no shame. I want you to turn with me in the Old Testament to 1 Samuel chapter number 11. Let me set the stage for you in 1 Samuel chapter number 11. Right before 1 Samuel chapter number 11 is 1 Samuel chapter number 10. Say, Pastor, thank you for clarifying that for me because I was really unclear about that. But here's the deal. What was taking place before the events of 1 Samuel chapter number 11? Here's what took place is that the nation of Israel, the children of Israel, they came together and they had been led by God up until this point. God had appointed judges for them. And all throughout the book of Judges, you see a cycle that happened. The children of Israel would fall into sin. Then they would cry out to God. They would repent. God would send them a deliverer. He would send them a judge. They would have peace. And then eventually, they would forget about God, and they would go back into that cycle of sin. And for 400 years, that took place in the book of Judges. Then we come to the point where there is a prophet that's raised up by the name of Samuel. Samuel was, if you will, the last judge of Israel. He would go before God, hear the voice of the Lord for the nation and he would lead the people, and actually Samuel had military campaigns that that God did great and wonderful things. You can read about those in the earlier part of the book. But there came a moment where the people came to Samuel, and they said, we want a king like the other nations around us. We want to be like everybody else. And Samuel said, this thing that you're doing is evil in the sight of the Lord. This is not what God wants. God doesn't want you to have a man, a king leading you. God himself wants to be your king and to lead you. And yet they persisted, and God told Samuel, he said, listen to the voice of the people. They haven't sinned against you. They've sinned against me, but I'm going to give them what they want. And so God granted them a king. And in the previous chapters, you'll find that God raised up a man by the name of Saul. Saul was a tall man, handsome man. Saul didn't see himself as really much of anything. He was small in his own eyes, and yet he was a head above the rest. And so God chose him, and he is now anointed as king. But nothing really happened up until 1 Samuel, chapter number 11, verse number 1. Let's take a look at it together. 1 Samuel, chapter number 11, verse number 1 starts out and says this, Then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve you. In other words, they just rolled over and said, Hey, we don't want to fight. We don't want to die. We'll make it a covenant, an agreement, a, a treaty, a pact with you that we will serve you if you don't kill us. Look at what happens. Verse number two, And Nahash the Ammonite answered them, On this condition I'll make a covenant with you, that I may put out all your right eyes. That's pretty gross, isn't it? You know, sometimes the Bible it, it, it just, like, is disgusting in some areas, you know what I mean? God, God includes these things in the scriptures, and it's shocking to, to our American society today. It's shocking to our, our natural thinking, and yet God includes these things because there are spiritual realities he wants us to draw from these things. I'll put out all your right eyes and look at this and bring reproach on all Israel. Verse 3, then the elders of Jabesh said to him, hold out for seven days that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel. And then if there is no one to save us, we will come out to you. Now, I would have thought that Nahash would have said, no way. Either you are doing this or we're not. I'm going to kill you or you're going to pluck out your right eye and come out to me. And yet, he agrees. Why would this man agree to this? Because he wanted fear of him and his army to come on all Israel. Remember, he said, I want to bring reproach on all of Israel. And so he says, go ahead and send your messengers out and let them know what's going on here. No one's coming. You don't have a king. You don't have an army. You're not able to come against me and my army. And so he says, go ahead. Look at what it goes on to say. And it says, verse number four, so the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and told the news in the hearing of Saul, no, of the people. And all the people lifted their voices and wept. They didn't have the strength they didn't have the fight in them. They just sat down and had a good cry. Verse number five. Now, there was Saul coming behind the herd from the field. Now, Saul didn't think of himself as a king up until this time. Remember, he had been anointed. They had to go and find him. They had to pull him out from behind all of the supplies in order to just at least anoint the guy. He was chosen as king in front of all of Israel, including the men of Jabesh-Gilead. And yet, they sent messengers to all Israel. They went for the people and not for the king. And so here's Saul, and Saul just went back to work. He just went back behind the herd and was caring about his father's business. And so here comes Saul, coming up behind the herd from the field. And Saul said, what troubles the people that they weep? And they told him the words of the men of Jabesh. Verse 6, then the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard the news. That is significant for us to understand. The Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard the news, and his anger was greatly aroused. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of having a holy and righteous anger upon you where you just know this is wrong. This cannot happen. This is something that i got to do something about. See, the righteous anger of God can come upon you, and the Bible says be angry angry, but do not sin. There is a way that anger stirs on the inside of us. In fact, Jesus, who lived the perfect, spotless, sinless life, he was angry when he saw injustice going on. He was angry when he saw people... T- turning his father's house into a house of merchandise rather than a house of prayer for all nations. And that's when Jesus braided that cord of whips and he ran them all out of the temple. See, Jesus had a righteous anger. He was perfect. He never sinned. Therefore, we can have that same example. And here in the Bible, it says that Saul filled with the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God came upon him and he got angry and said, this is wrong. And he was moved by the Spirit of God to do something about it. Let's take a look at what he did. It goes on and it says this, Verse number 7, so he took a yoke of oxen, cut them in pieces, and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hands of messengers, saying, Whoever does not go out with Saul and Samuel to battle, so it shall be done to his oxen. Now, once again, gross, right? He cuts, slaughters these oxen. He sends a leg one place. He sends the head another place. He sends a, uh, you know, a beef brisket somewhere else. I don't know what he sent out. You know what I mean? And and so he sent it all around, and he said, I'm going to cut up your oxen if you don't go out to battle with me and Samuel. In other words, the king and the prophet are going out together to war, and y'all better show up. Can I put it in today's terminology? goes on, and look at what it says. It says, and the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. In fact, 330,000 men of Israel and Judah came out. They go, and they march all night, and they come upon the camp of Nahash in the morning, and they just start slaughtering these men, and they scatter these men so that no two of them are together until the heat of the day, the Bible says. You can read about it if you continue to read on in First Samuel chapter number 11. They win a great victory that day. There are some spiritual principles and some truths that I want to draw out of this story because we need to live a life of no shame. We need to understand what the story is speaking to us because Nahash wanted to bring a reproach on Israel by plucking out their right eye. What does that mean, a reproach? It means to bring shame, to bring disdain, that they would be scorned. And he says, I want you to do this to bring reproach upon all Israel. And yet here Saul, filled with the Spirit of God, gets angry and says, there's no way that's happening. And he goes out and he wins the battle. See, Nahash, his name means a serpent. And we know that in the Bible, the book of Revelation interprets that the serpent of old is the devil. See, Nahash in this story represents our enemy, the adversary coming against our life, the serpent, the devil, he comes against us and he's waiting to encamp outside of our gates and to taunt us and to defeat us. The people, surprisingly, as we saw, just rolled over and tried to get out of the battle by just agreeing to serve him. See, sometimes we think if we can just make a deal with the devil, if I don't bother you, you don't bother me, and the devil says, that's fine, but I want you to pluck out your right eye. What does that mean to us? We're not going to pluck out our right eye. Some of you guys are probably already going there. Well, Jesus said to pluck out your right eye. Yeah, if it causes you to stumble, he says, get rid of it. But when the devil says it, what is he doing? He's trying to disable you. He's trying to dismember you. See, why the right eye? Why why not the left eye? Why not the tongue? Why not something else? See, the right eye, right in the Bible, represented righteousness. It represented strength and authority. Jesus is seated not at the left hand of God, but at the right hand of God. That is the seat of authority and power and strength and righteousness, You've heard in the Bible where it says, my righteous right hand. I will hold you by your right hand, it says in the book of Isaiah. See, the right represented righteousness, the right way of God. See, when you can't see right, it affects your walk. When you can't see right, it affects your ability to battle and to do war. That's why Nahash wanted them to pluck out their right eye, because their right, most of the time, people are right-handed and would want to fight with that right-handed sword, and they would have a perception issue and their shield would be on their left hand. If they were blocking, they would not be able to see the battle coming against them. See, he was disabling them. He was causing them to lose strength, and he was bringing a reproach upon all of Israel. They were going to live a life of shame. Whenever anybody would look at them, they would look at them, and they would see, You're weak. You have no authority, and you didn't do things the right way. And when we lose our strength to operate in the power and authority of God that He's given us, then we will act in unrighteousness, contrary to the ways of God and evil when it comes to the things of God. And the enemy will try and dismember and disable you until ultimately he destroys you. We see this principle in John chapter 10, verse number 10 in the New Living Translation. I want to read it to you. It says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Some of you have memorized it, life and life more abundantly. Jesus wants you to have a rich and satisfying life. He wants you to have a full and abundant life. But the devil will come and he will try and deplete you. He'll try and take away from you. He'll try and pluck that eye out. He'll try and get rid of that finger. He'll try and get rid of your strength, your power, your authority, he'll pick away at you. Why? Because then ultimately he wants to kill you. He wants to defeat you. He wants to stop you on the earth. Now we would think that that was the end of it, but not only that, he doesn't want to just steal and kill, not just deplete and defeat. Eventually he wants to delete you. What does that mean? He wants to wipe out the memory of you from the face of the earth. He wants to completely remove your influence, your legacy, your heritage, the things, the seeds that you have sown for the future. The devil wants to completely delete every influence you had on the earth. And he wants to bring shame, not just on you and your family, but upon all of Christianity and upon the name of our God and the name of our King Jesus. If he can get Christians to act like the world, if he can get Christians to pluck out their eye and live one way on Sunday and another day way throughout the week, if he can get them to cower in fear and not do what God has called them to do, then he knows he's won and he's on his way to defeating and deleting your influence in your life. It's vitally important that we understand what God is speaking to us because this is the process. This is the way the enemy works. The Bible says we are not unaware of his devices. And Nahash wanted the word to spread that Israel was weak and he wanted fear to follow. But he didn't think they had a king. He didn't think they had an army. And he wanted to bring that reproach and that shame on Israel. It's the same today with the devil. He thinks you're weak. He thinks you're a chump. But listen, you're not weak. You've got the power of God. You're not a chump. You've got the authority. You have a place in the family of God. You're no fool. You're filled with faith. You are a child of the almighty God, and you have the power and authority of God on your behalf. You've got both of your eyes. You can see clearly. You've got both of your arms. You can go out and do war. God is the one who trains your fingers for battle. You can bend a bow back. You can jump over a wall. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. You have everything that you need to succeed in life. Don't let the devil come and bring a reproach on your life. Don't let the devil come and bring shame on the church of Almighty God. It's time, church, to rise up, to stand for what's good, to stand for what's right, to stand for the Word of God, and to do what God has called us to do. We have a king. His name is Jesus. We don't go out telling the people about our problems. No, we go straight to the authority and the one who has the power to do something about our problems. We need to beat down heaven's doors and boldly jump into the presence of God and find mercy and grace to help in a time of need. We need him now more than ever. We need the spirit of God. We need the power of God. We need people living holy lives. We need people not to cower down in fear and make deals with the devil. Well, I guess I'll just play around in this sin a little bit. I'm just home doing nothing. I I guess I'll just go back to my wallowing in the mud. No, don't go back like we said last week. We're not going back. We're moving forward. And devil, watch out. There's a church rising up right now, and we're coming for everything you got. We're going to scatter those forces, cut them down. So how do we do this? How do we live with no shame? How to live with no shame? First thing is this, is that we got to see how God sees. That's why that right eye is so important, because how we see will affect our actions. We must see how God sees. Jesus had something to say about how we see in Luke chapter number 11. I want you to turn there with me in the gospel of Luke chapter number 11. We're going to take a look at one verse, verse number 34. Luke chapter 11, verse number 34. Take a look at it with me. It says, the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, everybody say good. Say it again, say good. When your eye is good, your whole body will also be full of light. See, the Bible says that the word of the Lord is light. And when your eye is good, then your body will be full of light. What does good mean? Is good what you think? Is good what I say? Is good what the society agrees on? Is it what the majority talks about? No, good is what God says. Because Jesus said there is none good but God. And when you see things the way God says them, that's good. That's a good eye. When you see things the way that God sees them, when you see injustice as injustice, when you call wrong wrong and right right, then you are blessed. But the Bible says cursed is the man who calls evil good. We need to see things the way God sees them. What's wrong is wrong, and it's okay to say it. Well, don't judge me. Well, you know what? The Bible says we can judge what's spiritual. And We are judged by no man, and yet we can judge ourselves. We can know what is right and what is wrong. We can understand these things. We have the wisdom of God and the mind of Christ on our behalf. And when your eye is good, then your whole body will be full of light. See, if you've ever felt like there's a dark cloud around you, start getting into the Word, start finding out what God has to say about your life, and you will be flooded with light. Let your eye be good. It doesn't matter your experience. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter your upbringing, what your parents taught you. Listen, this is the Word of God. This is the way God wants us to think. This is the way God wants us to see. This is the way God wants us to act. And when you line up with the Word of God, your eye is good and your whole body will be filled with light. That means that your strength, your emotions... Your marriage, your parenting, your business, your work ethic, your stewardship of the things that God has placed in your life, your relationships, friendships, family, future, dreams, and vision, all of that will be full of life, full of the Word of God, God's will and God's way. The verse goes on to say, but when your eye is bad, that's contrary to the ways of God. When you don't see things the way God sees them, when you've plucked out your right eye and you're looking through one eye without the depth perception that you used to have, now all of a sudden, look at this. Your whole body is also full of darkness. Jesus adds in the Gospel of Matthew, and great is that darkness. We don't need to operate in darkness. We need to operate in the light and in the life of God. I've heard it said that the Japanese character for the word crisis is actually a compound of two different characters. One of them is danger, and the other one is opportunity. These two characters, danger and opportunity, make up the word crisis. And I believe that it's all a matter of how we see. It's a matter of faith or a matter of fear. Which one are you going to see? Are you going to take a look at the danger Or are you going to look at the opportunity in this crisis? See, faith looks beyond the danger and sees to the opportunity that's in the middle of that crisis. And church, this is not the time to pluck out your right eye. This is time to see with the eye of faith and see beyond the danger and see to the opportunity that God has placed in front of our lives. God wants us in this moment to rise up, to get angry with what's wrong, to be joyfully about what's right, to continue on in the good things that God has done in our life. And he wants us to see beyond the danger and to see the opportunity to seize the moment, to redeem the time, and God wants us to move this gospel forward. It's your job. You're still the full-time minister. You're still the one who's carrying this gospel. I'm just here to equip you, to build you up, to lift you up, to shout you out, and to get you going. And you go and you tell the people you have influence with about you. You get them online. You get them to sign up. You get them involved in these things. You get them saved. You preach the gospel, church. Come on, find the opportunity in the midst of this danger Don't cower down because the devil said so. No, go out and fight. God is good. So how to live with no shame. First thing is see how God sees. Second thing is this, is to walk in the spirit. Anytime in the Bible you see the word walk, it means to live out your life. We need to live out our lives in the spirit. We need to walk in the spirit. I want you to notice that Saul had a different response than the people had. The people, when they heard about what was going on, lifted up their voices and wept. And yet the king had the Spirit of God on him, and he was filled with the Spirit, got angry, and went and did something about it. Now Saul's life, tragically, didn't end the way that it should have ended. I wish Saul would have continued to walk in the Spirit, and yet he didn't. He disobeyed God's orders. He disobeyed God's voice. He compromised his life, and he ended up being cast off as king, and another was anointed in his place. And We know that young man by the name of David. And Saul is mostly known for his disobedience, his rebellion, and his persecution of David. And yet, Saul at one point in his life was filled with the Spirit and did the right thing. And in our lives, we need to understand that it's not how you start, it's how you finish. We need to walk in the Spirit. We need to live out our lives in the Spirit. We don't just need to have a good start praying and receiving Jesus as Savior and Lord. That's wonderful. That's just the starting blocks. That's just the beginning of your race. It's not how you start. It's how you end that matters to God. Jesus said, he who endures to the end shall be saved. This is not just a quick prayer thrown up and you get some fire insurance and live your life like the devil, however you want to live. No, this is in all of your heart, all of your life. This is a marathon. This is finding that finish line and running to the end. This is the the all of your life finishing your course, the way God has called you to. And so we need to walk in the spirit and faithfully stay in the Spirit. I want to read Galatians chapter number 5, verse number 16, and I'm going to read a lot of scriptures, but I believe that you're able to handle it. Listen, you've been at home reading a bunch of stuff anyways on the internet, so you can handle this. I'm going to read this to you in the Passion Translation because I just love the way that it brought out different expressions in the Passion Translation. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 25 says, as you yield freely and fully to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. Verse number 17, for your self-life craves the things that offend the Holy Spirit and hinder him from living free within you. And the Holy Spirit's intense cravings hinder your old self-life from dominating you. So then the two incompatible and conflicting forces within you are your self-life of the flesh and the new creation life of the Spirit. Verse 18, but when you are brought into the full freedom of the Spirit of grace, you will no longer be living under the domination of the law, but soaring above it. See, we don't need regulations to tell us how to live. We need the Spirit of God to move in us and show us how to live. Verse 19, the cravings of the self-life are obvious. Sexual immorality, lustful thoughts, pornography. Is anybody getting uncomfortable there at home right now? Verse 20, chasing after things instead of God. Manipulating others, hatred of those who get in your way, senseless arguments. I would imagine right now, with the news reports saying that divorces are on the rise during this quarantine time, that there are a whole lot of senseless arguments going on. Resentment when others are favored, temper tantrums, angry quarrels, only thinking of yourself, being in love with your own opinions. Now, stop thinking about those people online that you've seen their posts online and, and you're thinking about them, guy. Start to take a look at yourself. Look at your own life. Are you operating in the flesh? Are you Are operating in the spirit? Verse 21, being envious of the blessings of others, murder, uncontrolled addictions. I wonder how many people were doing well with alcohol and drugs before this happened, and then they were home and had to take a look at themselves and went back. Listen, we're not going back. Wild parties and all other similar behavior. Haven't I already warned you that those who use their freedom for these things will not inherit the kingdom realm? of God. Verse 22 and 23 says, but the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions, joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart and strength of spirit. Never set the law above these qualities for they are meant to be limitless. Did you know that you can never have enough love. You can never have enough joy like, oh, that's enough. I got to stop. No, you can never have enough peace. You can never have enough kindness or gentleness or meekness or temperance or faith. Any of the fruit of the Spirit that come out of your life, you can never have enough. They are meant to be limitless and flowing and outflowing from your life, pouring out into the lives of the people around you. Verse 24, keep in mind that we who belong to Jesus, the anointed one, have already experienced crucifixion. For everything connected with our self-life was put to death on the cross and crucified with the Messiah. We must live in the Holy Spirit and follow after Him. If we are going to live a life of no shame, we need to see how God sees and we need to walk in the Spirit. Each and every day choose to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. Last thing for us today is this, is that if we're going to live with no shame, we need to act courageously. We need to act courageously. Photographer Stephen Wilkes was doing a documentary of pictures of New York City from above during the COVID-19 home order in the city. Shocking to see all of the streets of New York with no cars. Shocking to see Times Square with no people. And so he was photog- taking photographs from above, showing what it looked like in the city during the stay home orders in New York. As a young assistant photographer, he would travel every day into the city, crossing the bridge, viewing the Calvary Cemetery with the New York City skyline beaming in the distance. In his own words, he called it an epic view that he really loved going in every day and seeing that view. And so he decided now with this new documentary that he was going to do that he was going to go to that same place and photograph the city from that same epic view. And while they were circling around the bridge and while they were circling around the cemetery waiting for the light to peek through the clouds, he looked up and just beyond one of the highways, he saw a single billboard that was all in red with big, bold, white letters that said one word, it said courage. See, in these times, we need courage. We need to act courageously. We need to make sure that in our lives, that we're not cowering back, that we're not just crying, that we're not trying to make a covenant or an agreement with those who need to be fought against. No, that this is our time to act courageously. And that's why Saul sent out the word to everybody and said, hey, y'all better show up. Because if you don't, it's not going to be good for you. Right now is not the time to cower and to hide. No, right now is the time for us as the church to rise up, to pray like we never prayed before, to declare the goodness of God over our families, over our lives, to get sin out of our lives and to do what we need to do. It's going to take courage to confront the issues that you face. It's going to take courage to speak out. It's going to take courage when these orders are lifted to get up in the morning, to get dressed, to get your family together, to drive to church and to sit in the sanctuary because you've been conditioned for a while now not to come to church. Listen, it's going to take courage to fight the flesh and to not stay in fear. What if? What if I get sick? What if my family gets, what if we carry it? Listen, it's time to act courageously. It's time to rise up. It's time to put aside fears. It's not time to judge other people that aren't afraid. You know, there's people calling people murderers that go to the grocery store. Stop it if that's you. That's ridiculous. That is not how the people of God act. We need to watch our mouths, and it takes courage both to say the right thing as well to not say what you're feeling. It's time for us to be courageous and be the people of God that he has called us to be. Isaiah chapter 41, verse number 10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God will take hold of your life. Like God told Joshua in chapter 1, only be strong and of good courage. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. He said, no man will stand before you all the days of your life. Jesus said, I will give you a mouth and wisdom that no man can stand against. You have the Spirit of God on the inside of you. You've got the righteousness of God. You can see how God sees. Church, is time to stand up and act courageously. If God's been putting something on your heart, it's time to get going on it. If God's put a ministry in your mind, man, it's time to start working that plan out and start getting going with what God has called you to do. It's time, church, time for us to realize this time and the season that we're living in. And not to just sit back idly and do nothing. No, even in a stay home order, there are things that God wants you to do. God wants you to clean up your life. God wants you to take care of your family. God wants you to put in order your homes. God wants you to bless other people. God doesn't want you to shrink back in your giving. God wants you to move forward in your giving. God wants you to do what he's called you to do. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we're so grateful. We're so thankful, Lord, for all of your goodness in our lives, God. We thank you, God, that you have given us your word so that we can see how you see. God, may we have good eyes. Lord, and may our bodies be filled with light, not filled with darkness. Father God, we pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you would move in each and every one of our lives, God, and that your spirit would empower us. And God, may we choose each and every day that we wake up, God, to live a life in the spirit, to walk in the spirit. May your spirit come upon us, God, and move us. And God, may the fruit of the spirit come out of each and every one of our individual lives. And Father God, we pray, Lord, that we would have the courage to confront, the courage to move, the courage to do that which you've called us to do in our lives. While we're praying, while we're having this holy moment, there in your homes, wherever you're at, wherever you're watching from all over the world, would you just take a moment and ask yourself this question? Maybe you want to turn it into prayer. God, what are you speaking to me? What is God speaking to you right now? For some of you, he's saying, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right where you're at, just lift your hands. If God's speaking that to you, lift your hands and say, I receive the Holy Spirit in greater measure right now. Thank you for the Spirit of God. Jesus is the baptizer in the Spirit. If you want to be submerged in the Spirit of God and have the Spirit of God come on you and in you and through you, right now, just lift up your hands to the Lord and say, I just received the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for baptizing me in the Holy Spirit. For some of you, God is reminding you of a scripture, and he wants you to see how he sees. Maybe there's been an expression coming out of you that was darkness, and God is saying, I want to replace that with light. Let your eye be good. And there are those of you that God is saying, take courage. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Stand and do that work which I have called you to do. Fulfill your ministry. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you've gotten a word from God, I want to encourage you to write it down. I know that if I don't write stuff down, I forget it. So maybe you've got a pen and paper. Maybe you've got a mobile device or a tablet. You want to just jot down a note. On this day, God spoke this to me. Here's the action plan. Here's what God has asked me to do. Here's how I'm going to do it. Take down some notes. If you've got a faith-filled friend with you or maybe your spouse, your family member that's there with you, You want to tell them what God just spoke to you? Why don't you just share that with your family members right now? God just spoke this to me. Hey, look, isn't this awesome? Look at what God's doing in my life. Would you hold me accountable to this? Would you remind me of this? Would you ask me about this? Maybe i to text a friend. Share, God just spoke this to me in church. Would you bring this back up and ask me how I'm doing with this? Father, we thank you. We receive your word with meekness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.